You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning, and it's good to be with you all here in worship in this physical space of Eastside, but also in the digital space of Eastside. We are thrilled to have both groups with us on this lovely October morning, and just want to offer a word of thank you to Rachel for being willing to um, be interviewed, I suppose, by Troy and, and to, to share her story with our Eastside community. And, and Maggie, last Sunday, who did the same, it is, I don't know about y'all, but it's really rich to hear the stories of, of folks in the community, specifically the last two weeks, these, these new members with us at Eastside. And it all ties in to this larger season that we are in, that we have titled Eastside Story as we are journeying through kind of our past, our present, and looking to who we want to become. And the series is gonna take us up through Advent. And if you were with us last Sunday, then you know that we have, have moved from the broader story more to some of the specifics by looking at those, those words on the sign out front, creative, historic, inclusive, and United Methodist. And last Sunday, we looked at creative, which brings us to the second word on the sign, historic. And to get at this, we're going to look at a text from the Apostle Paul to his long and rich letter to the church in Rome. We're gonna be jumping to the, to the 15th chapter, and as I read from Romans, friends, I invite you to, to stand, those of you who are in the space, for the reading of God's word. And as you are participating digitally, I invite you to allow your body to be in a posture that, that helps you to engage with these ancient and sacred words. Paul writes to the church in Rome, we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. Christ did not please himself but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
as it's written, therefore I will confess among you the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, I ask that these words that I have prepared, that they may be your word for your people in this time and that you would speak through them and where it's necessary in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts across time, across space, that all of it would be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, a rock, God, a redeemer, God, our savior. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Friends, you may be seated. Well, some of you, maybe most of you know by now that this congregation as you look around at these humans, if you look at the space, this congregation, it's not always been named Eastside. This congregation has not always worshiped at 468 Moreland Avenue. And I'm not speaking just of the pandemic stretch, but way before that, we were not in this location. We started over a decade ago, actually, in a storefront over in the Oakhurst neighborhood of Decatur. It's about 10 minutes from here, maybe a little bit more if there's traffic. And if you're curious about how all of that came to be, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last couple of sermons. But when we were talking about what to name the church, we, we really wanted to... to be the kind of church, as, as, Rachel, as Rachel talked about in, in the video, who, who would reach out to and serve our community, and, and playing with lots of different names and talking through this, we ultimately said, let's just name it Oakhurst. We're in Oakhurst, squarely, and that just makes sense. So that's what we named the church. And, and and today, when people hear that our name is Eastside, but it used to be something else, the assumption generally tends to be that the name changed when we moved over to East Atlanta, to Eastside. Totally reasonable assumption and deduction. What I would assume as well, if I had stumbled upon this church and driven by and stopped in and didn't know the history. What's interesting is that that's actually not the way it transpired. It was actually a year before any conversation about East Atlanta or Martha Brown had even, was even on the radar, that our community actually did, in Oakhurst, did a demographic search to kind of understand, or demographic study to understand, like, who's coming to this new church? 
And we realized very quickly that the vast majority were not actually coming from the, the, the small community that is Oakhurst proper, but they were actually coming from more of a five-mile radius that was interestingly kind of skewed across the east side of the metro area of Atlanta. And we were looking at this Google map that we had made and looking at the like, little dot that was our church and then seeing kind of how many people like, live real close around it and then seeing the, the way it kind of blew up as it expanded out. And we, we, we prayerfully engaged this map and this reality and this demographic information because we thought it mattered. And it led us to a realization that while with, with all good intent in naming the church Oakhurst at the beginning, with all good intention to reach our hyper-local community, the, the tiny neighborhood of Oakhurst, it became very apparent very quickly that God had actually a slightly different vision in mind for what we were to do and to be. So we felt that that God was actually kind of encouraging us to sort of zoom out the lens a little bit on the Google map, if you will. You know how you can get that really, really close view where it's so, it's so close it's blurry? But we felt like God was encouraging us maybe to just click back one or two clicks and see a slightly bigger picture. And we decided with that in mind to change the, the name of our church and that decision kind of began in, in late 2012, and then the beginning of 2013 became solidified in our community, and which meant new signs and kind of telling the community what was going on and, and where we were and how we got here. And in that process of changing the name from Oakers to Eastside, we also had this question, like if we were on an elevator and somebody was like, tell me about your church real fast, what would you say? It's a hard thing to do if you've never thought about it. So we thought about it a lot and we debated and debated a lot and then talked and then prayed and, and debated some more and, and boiled it down to what you see on the sign out there. We boiled down sort of like the very short way we would talk about our church to someone with those words of creative, historic, inclusive, and United Methodist. And what's interesting now is that in 2021, the word historic, it, it actually it even like means a little differently now after the pandemic because we've used it so much, right? Historic and unprecedented. Unprecedented and historic. Two most overused words of 2020 and 2021. But regardless, we, we had the word before the pandemic, so we're going to keep it for now. <laughs> but it is interesting, after we've moved over here to East Atlanta, I don't get questions from people about what that word means. People don't ask because I think people think that they know exactly what it means because they see the building in what is a historic Atlanta neighborhood of East Atlanta. And if you know a little bit about Martha Brown, the church we merged with, Martha Brown is actually the oldest institution in East Atlanta. This church is the oldest institution in the neighborhood of East Atlanta, which is fascinating. 
But about 10 months after we had changed the name of the church, I get a call from my district superintendent, and she essentially said, have you thought about East Atlanta? And I was kind of like, where are you going with this? I, I'm not tracking. And she said, you know, there's a church in East Atlanta with a very large building, and they're, they're kind of nearing the end of their ecclesial life, and we're trying to feel what the options are for them. And she was fully aware that we were in a leasing situation. We didn't own our space in Oakhurst, and that our lease, by that point, maybe had two years left on it, something like that. And so she knew that we were either going to probably re-sign a lease in Oakhurst and stay there for a much, for a much longer period or, or look at other options. So she reached out to us and said, why don't you meet the pastor and have a conversation? One thing led to another. And that was, that was at the beginning of Advent that, that she had reached out to me and then we met with the pastor over here at Martha Brown. By January of 2014, both churches had voted to, to merge and Eastside actually had, had 100% of those present voted in favor of, of merging of our membership and Martha Brown voted, I think this is right, 23 out of 27 people present, which is still pretty good, right? 23 out of 27 of a 100-plus-year-old church voting to do something as radical as inviting a new church in to transform and to experience something utterly new. And of course... None of you are surprised, and none of you have ever been really surprised as I've told the story in membership classes and whatnot, and I'm like, and we were all like starry-eyed and thought it was gonna be roses and bunny rabbits or something, and it was actually really, really hard and challenging and exhausting, and if we had known how hard and challenging and exhausting it was going to be, we maybe wouldn't have done it. But it was... You know, we were already there. We were already in. It was, it was too late to, to back out at that point. And we probably would have still done it anyway. But it was, it was a challenge. It was such a challenge that it, only in retrospect can I look back and can, can I see the fact that, yes, 10 months even before my district superintendent had called me to talk to me about East Atlanta, we had changed the name. It really wasn't until about six months after we had merged and relaunched in this neighborhood that we even began to actually be East Side. And what I mean by that is, yes, we changed the name from East Side to Oakhurst, but, but in everybody's minds and hearts and collective being, it was still Oakhurst. And it wasn't until we had been over here and gone through the pain of this merger and the challenges that something new was able to begin to emerge. And to carry on the metaphor from last Sunday, and forgive me if this, if this doesn't ring true with, with your understanding, but I think the, the vision or the, the idea of the, of the caterpillar and the cocoon, I think it's pretty helpful when you think about what happened with, e, with, with Oakhurst Eastside and then Martha Brown. It was almost like we had to sort of like come over here from Oakhurst, crawl into our cocoon, and sort of die, right? We kind of had to experience, like, 
a kind of death inside that cocoon that Martha Brown provided for us. And it was, it was sort of a saying goodbye to what was. So that eventually over time we could begin to be transformed and come forth and break out of that into some form of new life, this, this butterfly that even after we, we sort of broke out of, of, of that and, and became, came out as a new creature, took us quite some time to even realize how to use the wings that God was giving us. And it really was an act of grace that, that even though we lost, we said goodbye to a lot of people from both sides of that merge, a huge whole new group of people like just showed up as we were, as we were putting down roots in this new neighborhood. All of these people, even in the midst of our own cocoon experience, were coming in the doors. And they weren't just coming in the doors, but they were joining the church. And then they were volunteering and they were giving and supporting and they were excited. And they were kind of like, wake up, old ochres people. What you have here is brilliant. Do something with it, you know? Like, snap out of it. And I think there's a lot. If you think about a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, out of that sleep stage, I'm sure that there's a lot to that wake up butterfly and figure out you have a whole new being in reality. It's almost as though God has a sense of humor to inspire us to name a church in a totally different neighborhood, east side, without any of us realizing that about three blocks that way, there is literally a street named East Side Avenue behind us. It's pretty remarkable. And we've been living into that identity since 2014. And most people think that the word historic on the sign points to the inscription below, which says the historic site of Martha Brown Church. But what's interesting is that, as I've already mentioned, historic had been a word that even when we were in the old space, we had already grabbed a hold of as a way to describe who we were as a congregation. And the reason is sort of multi-layered, but I'm going to try to get at it simply enough. At kind of a philosophical level, we, we those of the small group of us who were starting the church back in 2010 and 2011, we kind of were looking at what was happening with a lot of newer type churches, and we felt like there was a sense that in order to, to, to make themselves super relevant, I guess, to the culture, to the world, to not be, you know, I don't know, stodgy or overly traditional. They were almost going so far in, in trying to translate themselves out here that, that like the John text that Katie read, like, there was almost like a disconnect happening from the vine. And the, like, they were just sort of like the leaves and the fruit sort of looking back on the vine saying, we don't want to be like that. We're going to be out here, to which Jesus says, good luck with that, Right? because you're not gonna survive without connection to the source of life. So we had this deep desire to be historically rooted and to have a depth to our, to our sense of our tradition and to our Christianity. And, and it, 
it, it, it really, we, we struggled with how to talk about it because, you know, starting something new, but telling people, yeah, we want to start like a real, this new thing, but we want it to also be really old. <laughs> and it's kind of like, trying to help people understand the idea of renaissance, of trying to reintroduce something that we feel like has been lost. What does it look like for us to be a historic church in the sense of a liturgy that literally goes back to the third and the fourth century and Justin Martyr? Yeah, we may not do the liturgy in the exact order every Sunday, but all the parts are there. Confession, Eucharist, prayers of the people, Giving, all of these things are from an ancient, ancient liturgy. Some of the texts of hymns that we use are, are as old as the second century. And, of course, the practice of the Holy Eucharist goes back not just to Jesus, but the ties all the way back to Exodus and to the, the, the last, or the, the, the Passover and and just has this layer upon layer upon layer of historic meaning. All of which, if you, don't, if you don't know the history and if you don't care about the history, then like, you miss so much of who we are and what we are doing here. And it seems like when we try so hard to be new or to be fresh or to be relevant, that we just, can, can sometimes cut ourselves off at the sort of at the, the, the feet from the roots of this richness. But, but, but more so than that, and here's where I want us to, to kind of think about the, the two texts that were read this morning from the one from Paul to the Romans and the other one from Jesus to his disciples. Because what Paul is doing in in the reading this morning is actually really interesting. He's kind of doing two things at once that, that, that if we pay attention, we can learn from. There's like the thing he's actually trying to say, and then there's the way or the method by which and to which he gets to that point. And if you look at the text, if you have your Bibles with you, a thing I don't say enough here, Romans 15, You'll notice that at the end of the text, starting in verse 9, after Paul has done all this language about, he, he's arguing about the fulfillment of the patriarchs. So he's, he's making an argument that what he's talking about goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, that, and then he goes on to, to start quoting all these Hebrew Bible texts, multiple um, again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. I'll confess you among the Gentiles. I'll sing your praises. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Um, the root of Jesse, the, the Advent text we all know leading up to Christmas, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Four different quotations just there. And what Paul's doing is he's, he's speaking to the Roman church, which probably was very Jewish, and He's, he's making an argument for Gentile inclusion using the Hebrew scriptures, and not just one text or two texts, but multiple. And he's trying to say, 
look at our own scriptures and see it's there if you're looking for it. The plan was always for expansive inclusion of all of humanity, starting first with the Jewish people and then working its way out to the fullness of the Gentile world. And he's using their scriptures to show that. And what I think is really important for us, and we're gonna pick this back up next Sunday as we talk about inclusive, is that it's not just about what Paul's saying here. It's about what Paul's showing us about what he considers to be a legitimate way to make a theological argument. So not just about the point of Gentile inclusion at this point. No, Paul's saying, I'm gonna show you how I'm making this argument because I think this is fair. And remember, who was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul, the conservative, zealous Pharisee, like a traditionalist, traditionalist, old school, orthodoxy guy, right? And now he's using scripture, but how is he doing it? And we said this last Sunday with with transformative, creative sight. He's coming at the scriptures with a creative lens. Creative, new spirit-infused, historic. He's going all the way back to the patriarchs to make his point. But then he's coming back forward again to this very progressive, at least in that culture, he would have, Paul would have been like perceived as a crazy, out-there liberal saying that Gentiles can come into the fold of the Jesus movement and they don't have to become Jewish to do so? That's heterodox. Like, that's against the rules, Paul, in like all the ways. You can't say that. But Paul's like, but I am. And it transformed the, the whole trajectory of the story and still is if we actually pay attention to the argument that he's making because Paul's talking about Gentiles. We're talking about what? We're talking about gender. Can a, can a, can a person who identifies as female stand behind this pulpit and preach the gospel and God be in favor of that? I think you can use Paul's way of arguing to say absolutely. We're talking about human sexuality. Does God, does God have preference for sort of old school traditional understandings of of human sexuality or is God absolutely inclusive of and affirming and, and welcoming and asking the church to open its doors in in all ways from marriage to ordination to those who are, are on this beautiful spectrum that we we see in human sexuality it was the literal Gentiles then, but today it's, it's what does inclusive mean and how can we get there using scripture and understanding the way that those within scripture are, are, are making their point. In other words, when we said that we were wanting to be historic way back in Oakhurst, we knew we were in a storefront. And we knew what the associations were with new churches and storefronts. It was not that they were gonna be liturgical and citing the Apostles' Creed and celebrating the Holy Eucharist every Sunday. It was just not. So we felt like we needed to be overly communicative about who we were trying to become. And I think the same is still true to this day because 
as, we, as, as folks come to our community, and many people come oftentimes kind of in, in recovery mode from a, a tra- borderline or traumatic experience of, of harmful forms of religion, they're coming into this community looking for something, and oftentimes those that they're coming from see them go to a church like Eastside, and they're like, oh, that's one of those churches that just trades the Bible for whatever they feel like. You've heard this language or whatever. And it's like, that's not true, actually. We read it very carefully and very closely to the point that we're looking at how Paul's reading it and Paul's applying it. Same with Jesus. Jesus does what? He says, you have heard it said, but I say. He had to have known it, though, really, really well to be able to offer this counterinterpretation or this critique. And I think the same must be the case for us. If we are going to be a community who is going to be a prophetic signal to, to a different way than maybe the majority of Christians are being, we need to be able to talk about it in a way that makes sense and is contextualized within our tradition. Otherwise, the accusations, well, they're just making that stuff up, it gives it credence, right? And that's why we have to, to be, be historic, both as individuals who are reading the text and, and looking at it, and as a community, being a community who takes seriously the Holy Scriptures and takes seriously our tradition and what people have said. And it's in that that we can then, from there, grow and evolve and emerge and, and offer a word to what we believe is in sync with the, the spirit of the scriptures, even if it sometimes maybe doesn't jive with a particular letter, but in the spirit of the scriptures, and you can only get to the spirit of the scriptures if you really, 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 really know them and read them and, and understand them and speak to what it is that the spirit of the living God is, is breathing and guiding us to do today. So friends, may we be historic, but may we be so creatively, and may we do so in a way that helps us to further and further actualize the the axis of love that Christ taught, the command above all the other ones, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus healed on the Sabbath because not doing so would have been doing harm somebody that he could help right there and it wasn't that hard for him to do that work but technically it was out of bounds but he still did it and he teaches us to do the same because at the end of the day God loves God's children with an ineffable love that we can't even comprehend and it's the least we can do to begin to to take the well-being of of our siblings, and place that above our own as we seek to love God on this planet with one another. May it be so in the name of the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. Amen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Katie Farmer, and this is Hartley. (laughs) Um, And I have the joy to lead our community in a time of collective prayer and confession today. This time joins our hearts and minds together with God and with our community, both here in person and together virtually. Even when we are physically apart, we continue to worship together. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, I invite you to respond with, hear our prayer. 
God, our creator, our protector, we come to you together this morning, excited to gather both together in person and through our connection and digital space. We continue to give thanks for medical advances, vaccines, treatments, doctors, nurses, and scientists that are working to end this global pandemic. We pray for those, all our siblings around our world who continue to fight this pandemic with more limited resources than we have here at home. God, remind us that at the same time, you hear our prayers as well as the prayers of those around our world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we continue to lament violence and injustice in our world. We thank you for leaders in our community that remind us that justice and accountability are not the same thing and that true justice in our world means no more lives lost to unnecessary violence. As our world continues to experience inequality, bigotry, and hate toward our fellow person, we pray for wisdom on how to be leaders for equality, justice, and hope. We pray that the community of Eastside would continue to speak up, speak up in the face of injustice. We as an Eastside community lament racism, white supremacy, brutality, and violence that is occurring and has occurred in our country. Merciful parent, help us be for one another the community that we ourselves seek. And as we begin Pride Month here in Atlanta, even while we won't be able to celebrate with parade and festival, we give thanks for our LGBTQIA siblings and pray for those who feel isolated, unwelcome, unsafe, or othered. Let Eastside be a place of community and respite. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those in our community who are fearful, not knowing where they will access medical care, shelter, or food. I pray that Eastside would be a resource, both spiritually and physically, for those who need our support. We pray that we would give freely of our resources and ourselves to move as Christ's hands and feet in our world. We pray for our little free pantry and closet, which we fill and find emptied so many times each week. We pray for all those who have used these resources and that our congregation will be able to provide continued access to food in our community in this way. We pray for our local ministry partners that are supported by Eastside, for Wellroot, for East Atlanta Kids Club, for Brandon Towers, and for Chris 180. We pray for our national ministry partner, Reconciling Ministries Network, and for our international partner community, Ticolette, on the island of Laganov, Haiti. We pray also for those who have been displaced in Haiti and for our Haitian siblings who are seeking refuge in our country and communities. May we meet them with open arms and welcome them offering safely. May we do so for all who seek refuge in our country from strife, violence, and harm. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we participate in communion together today, we thank you for this gift of remembrance that you have given us this opportunity to engage in collective thanksgiving, this worldwide practice of remembering Christ's sacrifice for us all. We thank you for the grace and forgiveness that this meal represents and for the collective participation of our siblings in faith around the world, especially today on World Communion Sunday. Thank you for this reminder that you are with us all. We are thankful knowing that we celebrate with siblings of faith around the entire world, separated by space, but participating together in action. 
Now, God, we come to you in confession again this morning as we have so many times before. Lord, we come to you empty-handed and in need of your grace. We pray that you would hear us now as we silently acknowledge before you all of the ways in which we have fallen short. God of reconciliation, we thank you that no matter the state of our world or the state of our hearts, nothing can separate us from your love. God, we thank you that in acknowledging our own shortcomings, we find grace that reorients us and offers us hope. Help us live into that hope this day and every day. God, may our words of confession be accompanied by acts of reconciliation and grace. Siblings in Christ, hear the good news. Christ died for us as we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God and amen. I now invite you, however you are able, to pass the peace with, um, with us here in the space, with those you live with, in our live stream. And during our passing of the peace, if you are here with us in person, please come grab communion elements from the altar. And if you're worshiping with us, you can prepare your elements um, to be blessed by Tim. Amen. Well, friends, I now invite you to stand for the benediction. Friends, may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God, our maker, and in the life-giving fellowship of the Spirit now and forever. Go in peace, my friends. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.